You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at Home and Abroad, and we connected a number of years back with Red Shannon, and at that stage, Red was based in Montreal, and he was from Ireland, and was doing some radio down there in CJAD, but Red has moved on, and I decided we'd try and catch up and find out what he's been up to. Red, welcome back, and it's great to, hear, to be able to have a chat. Thanks very much, Austin, and Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you. So, you know, the last time you and I connected, you were in Montreal. Um, when, did you, when did you head out of Montreal? Well, it was um, almost 10 years ago. So I was, uh, when I was last in Montreal, I was studying uh, journalism. I went back to study journalism in, in Concordia there. And I graduated in 2009. And I moved to Toronto to work for the CBC. So I worked for CBC News there for... Uh, five years more or less in Toronto, and then uh, two more years working uh, in Fredericton, New Brunswick, um, all all the while for the CBC as well. So that would brought me up to 2016, right. and uh, then I decided I wanted to move closer to home, uh, basically because my sister has two small kids now, and she lives in Bandon with her husband and the two kids, and. I just felt so very far away, as you know yourself, when um, you have uh, new family members arriving. And I moved back in 2016, so I uh, quit my job. I went back. I, to be honest with you, I intended to move to Ireland, and that's what I did initially. But being a journalist, it's not the easiest industry to find work in in Ireland, uh, at least, you know, full-time, stable work quickly. So I got an opportunity initially to work for the BBC in Manchester, and I've uh, been based in Manchester for over the last two years, working between Manchester and London. So I work for BBC Radio, mostly in Manchester. And then um, I've been working also for Global News Canada, Global National, mm-hmm. as you'll know yourself, um, out of their London Bureau. So working part-time uh, there out of their London Bureau. So that uh, more or less takes me up till today. That's the last <laughs> decade of my life wrapped up into a couple of minutes. So, Red, print media, of course, is seeing uh, real difficulties, but you've, you're focused on the uh, audiovisual. Yeah, that's right, broadcasting. And, and to be honest, that's difficult times as well, a lot of cutbacks. I know that um, broadcasters in Canada and broadcasters around the world have had to shift towards, you know, the new um, Internet era, and some have been quicker than others. Um, but things are perhaps leveling out a bit, but there have been a lot of cuts, and I work for Global News in Canada, and there have been some tough times in recent years, but I think things seem to be um, evening out as everybody figures out how to, you know, make money and make it work in the internet era, so it's still moving, things are still changing, definitely, but it probably hasn't been hit quite as hard as newspapers have, which have really taken the big hit over the last decade, I suppose. And yet I noticed that, for example, my wife has a subscription to the Irish Times, that for some print media and for even for some of the um, online or broadcast media, uh, the ability to draw revenue globally probably has improved. That's right. Well, it works probably well for some more than others. Like um, the Irish Times, yes, because of the quality of product that they have, have and because there's so many Irish people around the world or people interested in Ireland, they can get people to pay for the best of what they do and they do some fantastic stuff. Like if you want to read David McWilliams' weekly column, you know, you have to pay for it and so you should. And the same is true for um, The Guardian, a little different out of the UK now. They have an optional 
um, subscription fee, so you can read pretty much anything, but they pester you incessantly, and they get huge readership around the world, and they get people around the world to pay uh, voluntarily for that stuff. So there's a few different models. Uh, I don't know which one is perfect, but people are trying different things to make it work, and small local newspapers are probably the ones that find it hardest, because obviously they've only got a small number of people who want to read it, and it's very difficult to make that work in a in an online marketplace when everybody's competing. So, Red, given that you came from Ireland, you were in Montreal, Toronto, Fredericton, and now in the UK, you've had a, a pretty good exposure to different um, aspects of the media in different cultures. Uh, what would your assessment be between, say, the Irish media, the Canadian media, and now where you are in the UK? That's a good good question. I, I mean, there's different nuances to each. I mean, you have uh, in each country you have the national broadcaster. Obviously, the difference between Canada and the UK and Ireland is that in Canada it comes direct. The CBC, for example, and Radio Canada are directly funded from tax, whereas in Ireland and the UK, um, well, in the UK at least, BBC is funded by license fees where people basically you have to own a license, as some Canadians might not realise, you have to own a license to own a TV or watch a TV online. The same is true in Ireland, but obviously the RTE in Ireland also need to use advertising revenue to, to fund that up as well. So there are different pressures come into play then on, on the different broadcasters. The scale of the BBC is immense. I think its budget is something around eight times what CBC is in Canada because they have a global mandate as well to for their world service, for different languages, for so much, so many different aspects. And I find as someone working from the BBC, you don't have to explain what it is when you're asking for a guest around the world. People instantly know. Uh, whereas maybe if you're working for a CBC, you might have to say CBC, Canada's National Broadcaster, I found. So those, those types of things, that's what it's like working on the inside. Uh, as to how they treat news, well, I think there's a lot of commonalities. I mean, you have a lot of people who like to put a, a world perspective on things. But then you have, you know, when you come down and you work in local news, like, for example, when I worked as a, a local reporter in Fredericton, people want to know what's happening in their town and their city. And that's no different to if you're working in Limerick or you're working in Manchester or wherever you're working. People just want to know about what's happening in their community. That's the most important news. And, and then how you tie it into big things like Trump and Brexit, well, that's another matter. Um, but ultimately, I think local news is the most important news for almost everyone. Now, you're the one that raised Trump and Brexit, but I know you're a little bit more removed <laughs> from Trump than you are from Brexit at the moment. And um, we're now coming up on where there should be a development. And that's all I can say, as anyone can say, if or another non-development for, for Brexit. What has it been like for the last... 18 months or so, uh, are, are you in any way connected with having to report on it? Oh, yeah. It, it, it shadows everything we do. Everything. So for the last two and a half years and slightly more, it has shadowed what I do. And actually, um, Austin, the very last assignment I had for the CBC was the, on the week after Brexit. So as I was leaving Canada, um, which was very bittersweet for me, I was asked, could you tell us about what, you know, what, is, what Brexit means to Ireland. And I, and I wrote a piece for the CBC saying that Ireland would be most affected and that the border was the big sticking point. Now, some people had been talking about that, but uh, it has slowly and slowly gained traction 
obviously on mainland Britain, people weren't talking about it at all. And I came back and I was sort of beating the drum to uh, the editors of the programs that I was working with. Like, this is the stumbling block. And they were going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did get to highlight it here and there and sort of push it. But the it has slowly dawned on people on mainland Britain that the border was just completely ignored. And this is still the main obstacle to any deal. And we're now in 2019, almost three years since the vote, and we still don't have a deal. And honestly, no one knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows. So then, Red, given that you're an Irish person now in the UK, involved in the media, and I suppose closer to uh, a lot of people who would have an opinion uh, on these issues, uh, you must find that when you go back to Ireland and when you come back to the UK and you hop between the two, the different perspectives are, must be very startling. Yeah, well, obviously, I would say in Ireland, I mean, you, you know yourself, everybody in Ireland that you would meet, it's very hard to find anyone who thinks Brexit is a good idea. Everybody is shaking their heads thinking, what on earth are they doing? In Britain, uh, I'd say a lot of the people whom I know and work with would think Brexit is a mess as well. Um, but, you see, that was the problem in the first place, is that nobody was in, say, the media and so forth, was talking to people who are unemployed in Britain, who live in towns that are depressed and deprived. And those people voted for Brexit because they never were served by the Tories or Labour, and they felt left behind and said, well, what have we got to lose? She will vote for this and see what happens. And those people are still supporting Brexit as something that might help them because they're still unemployed or they're still finding no decent work or their, you know, their situation has, has got worse than it, than it even was. So that's where people are coming from. Even though Brexit, you might think, makes no sense. Uh, if you look at it logically, if you've got nothing to lose, then you might vote for it. And that's the big difference between Britain and Ireland when it comes to Brexit. Right. So, Red, when you then went back to Ireland and you, you said your initial aspiration was that you might have been able to find work there, uh, you would have noticed a drastic difference in Ireland from when you left initially to come to Canada and when you went back. And here we've just heard announced that Ireland has returned a budget surplus, first time in 10 years. Or a, uh, so a radical change again in what would most people would see as they'd never see as much change in their lifetime and we're seeing it in a decade. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I moved to Canada in 2004, and actually I haven't, I haven't really lived in Ireland since 1999, so almost 20, 20 years now, actually, just coming up on 20 years. I haven't moved here, there, and everywhere. But I did move to Canada uh, during the boom in Ireland, which was sort of before a big wave of Irish people came during the bust. And I've noticed sort of a little, a sort of, uh, if you look at Dublin, for example, Dublin during the boom was sort of a place that was catching up on itself, had more money than it knew what to do with, as much of Ireland did. Then the bust happened, and Ireland was sort of a, a bit of a depressed place for many reasons, obviously, such a crisis in the economy. But then I think Ireland has come to a happy middle now, even though there's tons of money and there's a lot of problems with housing and the healthcare, that Ireland is a very a place that has seen the development of new roads, new infrastructure, and a new confidence about the place with tempered by the knowledge that, well, we better be careful this time because it could all fall apart. So I find Ireland of today a much more interesting and tempered place, not too optimistic and not too pessimistic, somewhere in the middle. And, well, I think long may that last. So in that sense, what you'll be saying in a way is that Ireland at this stage is 
part of the modern uh, Western world. Well, exactly. Like in Canada, like I mean, exactly. Can- Canadians aren't in the middle of a giant boom or giant bust. I think Canada, for the most part, over the last number of decades, had big, small booms and small busts, but nothing like Ireland has had. And they're somewhere in the middle and just, well, take for granted now a certain standard of life. Um, and Ireland is sort of there now and has come up to that level and is sort of happy in its own place. So it, it is a good place to be, but obviously there are a lot of, a lot of other issues if you're at the bottom of the ladder in Ireland, that uh, need to be addressed still. But that's the, that's the case everywhere, of course. So if the, while the mood in Ireland then would be quite optimistic, how would you categorise the mood in the UK? Uh, exasperated and um, bewildered, because people don't even know if they should be pessimistic or optimistic. <laughs> I mean, the very pro-Brexit uh, lobby would say they're optimistic about this new Britain that will leave the EU but really no one really believes them. And the same goes with people on the other extreme, or like people very pessimistic about Brexit. I think most people are in the middle going, listen, until we know what's going to happen, what the deal is, we don't know whether what to think. So they just want to see a deal. So people are, are more just waiting and seeing. That's what, that's what the, the mood is here. Well, Red, I'm going to have to wrap it up there, but I think it's been fascinating chatting, and I hope uh, we can maybe have a chat again, um, maybe not, maybe coming close to the end of March or maybe sometime at the beginning of April when uh, we know what's going on or we think we know what's going on or maybe we don't know what's going on or maybe nobody knows what's going on. Yeah, it'll be one of those, and I think <laughs> it could be the latter still, but uh, please God, we'll have some sort of uh, idea what the future holds. Indeed. You're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad, and we'll be chatting with Red Shannon. Red, thanks a million. Thanks, Austin.